Welcome to these Bible lessons on the Old Testament. In these lessons, we'll cover God's magnificent creation of all the world, including the creation of man, the crown of God's creation. We'll follow with the sad fall of man in paradise and the consequences this brought to the world. In the continuing lessons, we'll teach how God visits men with the revelation of His covenant of grace. When we travel together through the entire Old Testament, we see God visiting His nation of Israel with revelations of this covenant of grace, pointing constantly to the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope these lessons are a blessing to you. Thank you. Welcome to Lesson 38 in our Old Testament Bible History Series. Our lesson today is named, Walk Not According to the World. Just like our last lesson, we will cover half of the book of Leviticus, this time chapters 18 through 27. Imagine yourself walking through an orchard filled with many different fruit trees. If you are not a fruit farmer, I imagine that all these fruit trees look exactly the same. In the early spring, there would only be a tree trunk, branches, and leaves. If that tree is alive, there is sap running through the trunk and the branches. The tree is alive, but if it is alive, then there must come later in the spring some flowers, then fruits. If there are no flowers and fruits, then the tree is not alive. If the tree is alive, then the fruits will be there also. They go together, and yet they are separate. And that is kind of like faith, and the necessary results of that faith in the life of a believer. This lesson, then, is about the fruits that appear in the life of one in whom God has worked a true faith. In our last lesson, we learned about ceremonial sacrifices first, and then about the priests, and then about purity laws. It was all about how it was possible for unholy sinners to live in the presence of a holy God. The highlight came on the Day of Atonement, where the sacrifices on that day were a picture of the mercy and pardon received from God. The focus of this lesson is how the Israelites were taught to live after having received this mercy and pardon. We will first talk about purity laws, and then about the priests, and then about ceremonial feasts. We will then connect that Bible history to what this teaches us about how to live today. Well, as we pick up our story at the beginning of chapter 18, God says to Moses, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. It makes sense. 
It is good that since God rescued and saved his people Israel and made a covenant with them, they have to obey God. In chapter 18, God provides many different laws that are intended to keep the holiness of the marriage relationship. The nation of Israel was coming from Egypt and going to Canaan. The people in both nations had many sinful habits and were not good examples to follow. Israel was warned not to copy the same sinful habits of the Egyptians and the Canaanites. They were to keep and honor God's original design in creation. By doing this, they could fully enjoy the benefits of a strong family. Chapter 19 is a famous chapter and was likely known from memory by many Israelites. By reading this chapter carefully, you should be able to find all of the Ten Commandments explained in detail. The contents of this chapter touch nearly all areas of personal, community, and national life. This chapter reminds us that holiness is more than being only clean or unclean, but holiness is very practical and involves everyday things. Holiness touches every single part of your life. Keeping these laws would really make Israel a nation that was separate and distinct from other nations. Since Israel, since Israel's God was holy, Israel was also to be holy. In all of these laws, we see that peace and harmony with our neighbors is promoted. We see that genuine love is to be the motivation for our behavior. In verse 18, we read, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Both the Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul talk about this text to summarize the second table of the Ten Commandments. It is possible that you have a friend whose mom or dad is no longer alive. If so, that can be really hard for them. How can you be a good friend for them? In Israel, those people who had lost the security of being in a family were to be looked out for. Those that were poor, that had no land, the widows, the orphans, were a little easier to be cheated of their few possessions, and they had to be protected. In chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, there is a positive command, a command to do something instead of a command to not do something. Israel was to leave the corners of their fields for the poor to harvest. This is a reminder to Israel that they too were once poor slaves in Egypt as well. I don't read that the poor deserved the corners, because they were poor, but rather that the farmers were responsible to do this. Israel's command was to lovingly obey God by taking care of the poor around them. This is a reminder that we should make decisions about how to use our money and belongings by thinking first of our responsibility to God. Can you see Moses speaking to the elders of Israel? 
Every time the Israelites hear the word of God, they are reminded that God has made a covenant with them. In chapter 20, verse 7, God says to them, Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. The people were to sanctify themselves. What? Does this mean the people could make themselves holy? Could they follow these laws without sinning? No. For in the next verse, he says, I am the Lord, which sanctify you. This is an important connection to our main point about the fruits in a Christian's life. All good works come from God and not from our heart. We will always fail, but it is God's power that sanctifies or makes holy. We learn this from Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. This can encourage a Christian today to be diligent instead of careless about their life. Let's move. To, let's together move to the second part of this lesson and look at the requirements of the priests. You know from our last lesson that the priests represented the people to God and God to the people. Serving in God's presence required the priests to have excellent character. Read chapter 21, verse 6. The priests shall be holy unto their God and not profane the name of their God. The name of God was not to be profaned by the priests. It should not become an ordinary or common thing. The priests were not to do anything that might distract the people from knowing that they represented God. I have a question for you. When you read chapter 21, did you wonder at all why a Levite who limped was not allowed to be priest? In that chapter, there are at least 10 more physical conditions that would keep a Levite from being a priest. While this maybe seems to be unfair, remember that the priesthood was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and needed to always show this. And so these men were not kept away from the priesthood because they were somehow bad as a result of their physical problem, but rather... The purity of the priesthood needed to be kept. While they were disqualified from being priests, they were still Levites and were still permitted to receive the food, income, and support of the sacrifices. Nothing could take away from the idea that the priesthood represented Christ and the perfection of God. Indeed, these rules were not there to tell the people they were not perfect. Rather, it was to convince them of the perfect, spotless high priest that was yet to come. And this all pointed to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's now move to the third part of this lesson. In chapters 23 through 5, the people are introduced to the ceremonial festivals that they were to celebrate. 
Each of these religious festivals were connected with part of their history. So as these feasts become, became part of Israel's culture, Israel would not forget who they were, where they came from, who rescued and delivered them, and who brought them into the promised land. Especially, they were not to forget who God was and what he did for them. These feasts would remember God's great goodness towards them and allow them to respond in thankfulness and with sacrifice. So travel along with me into Israel as we go through these traveling tribes and as we look around. By now, it has been a full year since they have been rescued from Egypt. If you go closer to a few of the homes, you will hear the parents talking about that solemn night. They remember God's command to kill a lamb and sprinkle its blood on the doorposts. They remember the serious news that in any house without the blood, God would take the life of the oldest. God wants Israel to never forget this, and so he commanded them to have a yearly feast that would be called the Passover. There, in the wilderness of Sinai, the people kept the Passover. They selected a lamb, killed it, and sprinkled the blood on the doorposts. They ate the meal, dressed as if they were heading on a long journey. And following this, they ate unleavened bread for a week. Unleavened bread contained no yeast. It could be baked quickly and was a reminder of their need to hurry out of Egypt. Here already, you have two of the feasts, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You can read about them in chapter 23. These feasts and all the others we will learn about shortly happened once per year. The main day the Lord gave them was the Sabbath. The Sabbath was the most important and most significant and was kept every week. I am still traveling through this camp and I see some elders over there carefully counting the days to the next feast. You see, the Feast of Weeks was to be held exactly 50 days after the Passover. It was a feast that marked the end of the harvest of wheat. At this time, the Israelites were to offer a sacrifice of thanks to the Lord for all of his blessings. Later in the year, the seventh month was a busy one. On the first day, the sound of trumpets called the people to worship. The first day of this feast was to be a Sabbath day for them. This would be a day of rest to stop working, and to prepare for the coming Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement came on the tenth day. This most important religious ceremony was already described for you in our last lesson. On this day, the priest would make a sacrifice for his own sin and then for the sins of the nation. On this day, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice. This was the day that the scapegoat would be led into the wilderness. The people would fast and keep away from food. It was not a time of joyful celebration, but of deep repentance. Shortly after the Day of Atonement, the people celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. 
During these days, the people would live in tents that they made out of branches and leaves. They were to live in these tents for a week, rejoicing and celebrating God's faithfulness. The first and eighth day of the feast were to be kept as Sabbath days, when the people would meet together in worship to God while offering special sacrifices on those days. Everybody was commanded to bring an offering for the priests to sacrifice. The highlight of the feast was on the final day when the high priest would pour a pitcher of water in front of the altar, praying for rain and healthy crops in the coming season. He would also pray to God to pour out his Holy Spirit on the people. Many years later, the Lord Jesus chose this time to stand up on the last day, that great day of the feast, and cry out loud, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. These special feasts often were at special times in the farming calendar, coming at the same time as the beginning or end of the wheat or grape harvest. Just like God provided the Sabbath for one day of rest per week, God also provided a Sabbath year for the land. Every seventh year, the land was to be left alone. God promised that even without farming, enough crops would grow on the land for the people. This reminds us that even the land belongs to God and we only take care of it. After seven of these rest years, so that means after 49 years, the 50th year was to be another rest year. This 50th year was called the year of Jubilee. For the second year in a row, no plowing, no tending of the land. This would be a year of rest and a year of release. It would be very clear in this year that all the land belonged to God and that the great meaning of life is not to collect earthly possessions and riches. At this time, all land ownership would return to the original family who had received it when they entered the promised land. Anybody who had become so poor that they had to sell themselves as servants would also be released and set free. Every 50th year was a kind of reset. Can you imagine being a poor man who had to sell his family? Sell his family land and sell himself to work for another man? He would be listening for the trumpets that announced the arrival of the year of Jubilee. And then things would change. His land would come back to his family and he would be released to return to his own family again. In chapter 25, verse 10, we learn that those trumpets would proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all the inhabitants thereof. Proclaiming liberty. Those are interesting words. By now, I don't think you would be surprised to learn that such a special year in the Old Testament history of Israel actually has real connections to the Lord Jesus. You see, the Lord Jesus was anointed 
for the task of proclaiming liberty. Near the beginning of his public ministry, the Lord Jesus was reading in the synagogue from Isaiah chapter 61. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He said to those listening, These words have become true today in me. It is me who will bring freedom to those bound up. I will preach rescue and release and freedom for all of God's people. I will do the work of setting them free. You see, this year of Jubilee was a year of rest and is a picture of the spiritual rest that God's people look for and receive through Christ. Well, in the next two chapters, we have a summary of the great benefits that Israel would receive if they obeyed God's commands. They would receive peace and prosperity. There is also the promise that disaster and punishment would be the result of disobedience. And mercifully, there is the gracious promise of forgiveness available for those who repent. There is the promise that God will remember his covenant that he has made with them. All of these feasts are important to us, but we don't celebrate them today like Israel did. This is because the Lord, this is because the Lord Jesus has come and fulfilled everything that these feasts pointed to. Christians today see these feasts with new and significant meaning. For example, the Lord's Supper is celebrated instead of the Passover. All of Leviticus, the sacrifices and festivals, the priesthood, the purity laws, it all pointed to the coming high priest, the Lord Jesus, and his perfect sacrifice. So how does all of this connect to the main point of this lesson? We learn in this Bible history how the Israelites were to walk separately from the world after having received mercy and pardon from God. Through this, we learn something about how God deals with sinners. The second thing we learn is how sinners can deal with sin. Remember that salvation does not depend on what we do, but completely on what God does. Let's read together. Leviticus 19, verse 15. Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. What do we learn here about how God deals with sinners? Israelites, being delivered by God, were to deal righteously, justly, completely fairly with their neighbors. They were not supposed to be easy on the poor because they were poor. No, they were supposed to be fair with their neighbors. They were not supposed to be easy on the poor because they felt sorry for them that they were poor. They were also not supposed to be harder on the rich, 
thinking that because they were rich, they could handle it. No, they were to be fair in their judgments. This shows us something about God's righteousness. God's commands are perfect, and his rewards or punishments are also completely perfect, fair and fitting. He is impartial and completely fair. We can never come before God and say we were too poor and too busy working to have time to read the Bible. In Jeremiah 17 verse 10, we learn that I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So, people will be judged in a way that matches their actions. In the words of the Apostle Peter from Acts 10 verse 34, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. God deals with sinners in a way that is completely fair. This means that God also hates injustice. He warns against it, commands people to run away from it. We're not to have favorites, and God wants people to also show his justice. This is captured in the Proverbs of Solomon in chapter 21, verse 3. To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And in 1 Timothy 5, verse 21, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing but partiality. We are to show God's justice in the way we deal with others. The second thing I would like to focus on is the following. So after showing God's justice in the way we deal with others, something else that we learn about the life of a Christian. Let's look at that next. That's the next thing that I would like to focus on, is something that we learn about the life of a Christian and sin. You have on your lesson handout the words of John in 1 John 1 verses 6 through 10. It would be good to read these verses again. In those verses, we learn that simply saying we know God does not make it true. Our daily walk, our daily life will show it. Walking in the light is living righteously. It is also clear that those who walk in the light are not perfect and will never be perfect on this earth. They still are sinners, still commit sin. No one is without sin. The merciful promise comes in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is that word just about God again. He is completely fair and right in forgiving sinners who confess their sins to him. God's promise can be completely relied upon. So what do we learn from this chapter about the holy life commanded of the Israelites? We are not called to live exactly as the Israelites. We are called to live a life of holiness. This lesson is a reminder that a holy life is the fruit of God's gracious work. 
Good works come from God. It is a reminder that being proud of ourselves is sin. It is a reminder that sin is always present in us. This chapter shows us the need to confess our sins and reminds us that God is faithful and just to cleanse from sin. This is a good reason to give thanks and be joyful. This brings joy because safety and security is to be found not in ourself, but only to be found in God. This brings us to an end of our lesson on the second half of Leviticus. We have learned of all the different ways in which Israel was called to behave with each other and towards other nations. We have learned about the special qualifications of priests. We have learned about the festivals. We have also learned that any good works or fruits in the life of a Christian come from God and from Him alone. In our next lesson, we will learn how the Israelites failed to live as they were commanded. That is in Lesson 39, Hearts of Ingratitude.